On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have probably the most controversial episode that we have ever done. But before we get to all of that, we're going to cover some new exciting things like a new release of OBS Studio with OBS 24. Pine64 announces they are working on a smartwatch called the Pine Time. A new update from Enlightenment, the window environment, with this is a release for E23. We got some new distro releases from Kali Linux, Black Arch, and Linux from Scratch. And later in the show, we'll get to those controversial topics like Richard Stallman resigning from FSF, a discussion on Twitter and the DLN forum about whether people think Microsoft is trustworthy or not, and if they aren't, how could they become trustworthy? Huawei is now selling Linux laptops with Deepin Linux pre-installed. There's a new forked project of GIMP, which is being called Glimpse, and we'll talk about why that happened. Purism says that the Librem 5 is meeting its shipping date. And then we'll emerge from the controversial section to finish out the show with some Linux gaming news. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimizing, managing, and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. And also, it's really easy to use their services. Like not only is it intuitive and their API is intuitive, but using their system is really nice because you can do all kinds of stuff just from their dashboard system. So it's really easy to get to, to get used to. But if you're not familiar with it, that they even have more tutorials that you can use to improve various different services that you might want to check out. So, for example, they have 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. We're actually going to be launching a new service that's using DigitalOcean in the next week or so. And uh, I can't really talk about it right now because it's not ready yet. But the next episode of Destination Linux, when it comes out, it should be ready. So be sure to check that out to find out more about what that is. And uh, in the next episode of this show, I'll, I'll clarify that again. So anyway, if you're, again, you want to get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit, you can go to do.co slash tux. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. A first in the show is the latest release of OBS Studio. Now, I'm a fan of OBS Studio. I make this show with OBS Studio. I also make the Destination Linux podcast with OBS because OBS is awesome. Now, I like it for the amount of power and control it gives, but there's also sometimes there's things that I find that I'm, are kind of annoying that create issues, and then the, after I find them the next release, they release a fix that solves all that, and then also makes it even easier to do things, like it, even things I didn't even think about. In this particular case, there are a lot of really cool things that they've added. So, for example, one of the best things they added was dynamic bitrate. Now, what this is, is it's an all, it's a really cool concept because if you have a, uh, you go into your settings and you want to do stream, uh, stream 1080p, like the the average bitrate of 1080p is around 6,000 bit or kilobits, and uh, you want to have the bitrate of 6,000. And if you uh, have like a hiccup in your connection or whatever, or the server has a weird thing, and then your stream, instead of like degrading the quality, it'll just start losing frames. So it just becomes choppy. And it's better to be smooth and lower quality than to be higher quality and choppy, in my opinion. 
and OBS decided to that they agree with that concept, so they have created the dynamic bitrate. So as soon as you start losing uh, connection quality, it will lower your bitrate down automatically to a point where your your connection can handle it in a smooth way, so it could go down to 480p or whatever, and then go back up to 720p and then back up to 1080p once you get to that where your connection gets back to normal. So that is really awesome because it's a lot better than you know just massive choppiness. Uh, they also added the ability to pause recordings in OBS. I'm not necessarily sure why you'd want to do that, but they did add that. Uh, someone in the chat asked if you can do that, and you can. Uh, so the, you can also do this new thing for custom browser docs. And the custom browser doc is a way to uh, modify, like basically the OBS Studio is built with Qt or Qt Toolkit. And that allows you to move around pretty much every element to wherever you want it to be. And they're now making it possible to inject a web app into the OBS client itself. So you could have it on the side and have different like uh, tools also docked into OBS, which is really, really cool. They already had support for Twitch to do the same kind of thing, but now they're making it for basically any web app, which is awesome. They've also changed something that I've thought for a very long time that they should change, and they are finally changing. The default recording format is now going to be MKV. They were using FLV for some reason, but MKV is a much, much better format for them to use, or container technically to be used. And that's because MKV is a container that is it allows for multiple audio sources, it allows for built-in subtitles and all kinds of stuff that's just really cool about the container. But the most important thing is that if your OBS crashes or whatever happens, your, your connection falls or whatever, the file is not lost. If you are making an MP4 or an FLV and, you, and your system crashes or your OBS crashes, that file is gone. Like everything about it is gone. Whereas MKV, as soon as it's done mixing that content, that data, it just saves it in that file. So if you just cut off the, like if you just close the OBS application without stopping the recording, it will still keep the MKV file that you had. And that's why it should have been default forever. And now it is, so that's awesome. They've actually also made it possible to select multiple sources at the same time to move multiple things all at once. This is great because if you look at the OBS setup I, ha I have, I'll probably just demonstrate it at some point in the future, but if you look at the OBS setup that I have for both uh, Destination Linux and This Week in Linux, it's pretty convoluted. So have different elements here and there, like the logo in the bottom left of the screen is a, is a separate element for the banner on the right next to it, and the, the webcam border that borders around me is different than... You know, and you also see that the icons that are moving underneath me, and that oh, there's a lot of moving parts in this piece. And when I set it up, I had to do each individual piece one at a time. Now I don't have to do that, which is great. I already did it, so it's not that helpful. But it's really great in the future, and people who are getting used to starting to use OBS. So that's awesome. They also did a bunch of other updates for like dependencies, like X264, FFmpeg, and many more things. So if you'd like to learn more about OBS Studio, I have a link to the latest release of 24 in the show notes below. Up next in the show is something really, really cool from the Pine64 team. So the Pine64 team announced that they are making the Pine Time. This is a $25 Linux smartwatch. Now this, I don't, I don't understand how this is going to be made. I don't know what kind of system they're going to be using to run this because I don't, I don't think that they there's a Linux distro that's made for that kind of thing. So I'm not really sure exactly what this is going to be doing. 
However, I am super excited and can't wait to try it out, especially considering it's only $25. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, we could do like, we could buy like four and afford to do like a give you, giveaway and it still only cost $100. That's ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to get one, at, the, at least one. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. But anyway, this is a, they said it on their tweet that it's going to be uh, a 20 millimeter wristband size. It's going to have a heart rate monitor. It's going to have a charging dock, which the fact that it even comes with a, a charging dock is ridiculous because there's a lot of smartwatches that the dock costs more than this phone does and it or the phone than this smartwatch does and then comes with a dock for charging it's like anyway really cool they also say it's gonna have a multi-day battery as well as they said it's going to be shipping to developers as like a dev kit not an actual completed device of course but a dev kit to uh, developers between sometime between late october and somewhere in november they haven't said exactly when but that's their estimate of when it's going to happen they also say depending on how quickly the software can be made to work on it the development uh, of a companion app well and the development of a companion app, how long it takes to get both of those done uh, pine 64 is saying that they think it might be possible for a qual- for an availability in quarter one or quarter two of 2020 so that is not that long away. So that means they've been working on this for at least a significant amount of time and have been preparing to make their a smartwatch companion for their uh, Pine phone, which is really, really cool. I, I am so excited to see what all the stuff the Pine 64 team are doing. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to get pretty much all of their new products and stuff. So yeah. Let's move on to the next topic. But if you'd like to learn more about the Pine Time, I'll have a link to their tweet in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Enlightenment. They have released 0.23, or E23, and this makes the the first major release in over two years. For those not familiar with Enlightenment, it is a window environment that started out out supporting X11, but has progressed over the years to now support Wayland, and even eventually plans to discontinue X11 support when Wayland takes over. Now, you might have heard I said window environment, and that's because... There's an argument between whether or not this is a desktop environment or just a window manager. So I decided to just call it a window environment and be done with it. So there's a new term for you. You're welcome to utilize it if you would like to. So uh, the highlights of this release is they've added a, a, a padded screenshot option to it. They use Mason for the builds system now. They've actually added support for the imp- the MPRIS or Empress uh, protocol, making it possible to uh, more easily control uh, music players and things like that built right into the environment. Uh, they also added support for Blues 5 for Bluetooth. They added DPMS option to turn it off or on and move windows around with the Alt-Tab function, which is, if you're not aware, this is pretty much available in most window managers. Well, every DE, not really most window managers, and definitely not, well, it is now available in the only window environment that I know of because that's what I'm calling this. And it's to where you hold alt and you can click with your left mouse button on any window and just move it around. You can click anywhere on the window and just start moving it rather than having to click the title bar and move it. You can just hold Alt and click anywhere, and it's really nice. Now, if you're on some desktop environments, uh, not this particular one, I don't think they have support for it, but if you're on some desktop environments like Plasma, and I think Mate has support for it as well, if you hold Alt and use the right click, you can actually resize a window really easily that way. So that's just a random pro tip. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Enlightenment and the the, des- the window environment, uh, I'll have and for the release of uh, 0.23, I've a link to it in the show notes below. 
Up next in the show this week is Black Arch and also Kali Linux. So we're going to do a couple pen testing distros, and pen testing is in penetration testing, a.k.a. hacking, really. And uh, Black Arch released 2019 or 2019.09.01. Kali Linux released 2019.3. So they both use like a date-based restructure, except for Kali Linux does like the third release of the 2019 version. Anyway, so Black Arch introduces over 150 tools in this release, which is really interesting because the previous release, which was like a month and a half ago or so, they had also released another uh, previous 150 tools. So this is a, another new 150 tools. So that's really cool. And they've also uh, upgraded their system to use the 5.2.9 Linux kernel. And they've also done a lot of upgrades for the distribution distribution across all like the packages, packages and dependencies and stuff like that. And on the Kali side, they also upgraded to 5.2.9 kernel, as well as providing a bunch of uh, additional new features and application updates. One of the things that they announced in their in their uh, release is that they are switching to using Cloudflare as the content delivery network for Kali Linux, which is pretty interesting. So because there's a, there's some you know people just dis- discussing whether or not Cloudflare, Cloudflare should be used and whatnot. I think it's fine, and I've seen people use it even on their DNS and stuff, because if you uh, look into it, 1.1.1.1 is a is the DNS for Cloudflare, so there you go. Also, uh, they've changed some stuff for the default tool set, because it will now be split into three main categories. They're going to have the Kali Linux default with essential tools for penetration testing, Kali Linux large with a wider collection of penetration testing tools, and Kali Linux everything, which will have all the hacking tools. In addition to this, they are providing better support for the ARM architectures, and Net, the NetHunter project for running in, uh, the OS on Android has been updated and now supports new devices such as the LG V20, the Nexus 5X, Nexus 10, and the OnePlus 7. So if you'd like to learn more about Black Arch or Kali Linux, I'll have a link to both of these uh, articles in the show notes below. Next up in the show is another distro release, although it's not technically a distro, it's more of a book or manual, I suppose. And that is the Linux from Scratch has released 9.0. This is also the Beyond Linux from Scratch has also released a new stable release. Uh, but if you're if you're wondering, so Linux is from scratch or LFS is a book that provides step-by-step instructions on how to build a base Linux system from scratch, hence the name. You can also use like uh, the Beyond Linux from scratch allows you to do extra stuff. So B- the BLFS expands on the, L- the Linux from scratch book by giving further lessons on how to compile X window system, uh, window managers, and desktop environments, as well as variety of popular desktops and server packages and their dependencies. So all of if you want if all you want is a running system as a backend server system, then LFS is what you want. If you want to actually use LFS as your main system, then you can use BLFS. However, I will let you know that this is probably one of the most difficult things to do uh, So in Linux. So if you might have heard people say that uh, Arch is a good way to learn Linux, and that's true. And people other say that Gentoo is a better way to learn how Linux works, and that's also pretty much true because you're doing more, you're getting more hands-on in different various pieces. Linux from scratch, however, is you have to do absolutely everything yourself from scratch and compile everything. Um, so it takes a lot longer. It will teach you a lot, but it will also be a uh, exercise in frustration. So. Uh, if you want to learn as much as you possibly can, then L- LFS is the best way to do that. Um, 
but it will take a while, so keep that in mind. You might want to do it in a VM or a spare computer. Actually, a spare computer would be better because a VM might take a lot longer, but you know, there's that. Anyway, so this latest version includes a update to their uh, glibc to 2.30, the GCC to 9.2, and in total they've uh, updated 33 packages since the last release, and changes to the text have also been made throughout the book. So the Linux kernel has also been updated to 5.2.8, and if you would like to learn more about Linux from scratch or beyond Linux from scratch, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Before we move on to the rest of the show, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping, uh, so I'm going to let you know about a few things. So, for example, the there's if you're not aware, there's an audio feed for this particular show. If you prefer to have an MP3 version of the show rather than a video version on YouTube, you can subscribe to the RSS feed that is available on the website by going to tuxdigital.com slash thisweekinlinux, and there you will find the RSS feed, or you can just search for This Week in Linux in your podcast uh, catcher or podcast app like Podcast Addict and Pocket Cast and that kind of thing. And uh, it should be in all of those apps, including even Spotify. So it should be everywhere. I try to make it everywhere. If you find an application that doesn't have the, the show there, please let me know because I would like to fix that as soon as possible. Also, if you're not aware, there's a segment index for this show. If you're not aware, I use this term segment. I said it if you're not aware many times. I apologize for the repetitiveness, but hey, uh, the segment index is a way that I describe having timestamps for each topic of the show. So if you scroll down to the description on YouTube, you'll ha- you'll see links that you can click to jump directly to those topics. And if you're on using the audio feed, you will see whatever, however your app works, there'll be a bookmark feature somewhere that allows you to do the same thing and skip to exactly what topic you want to listen to. So there's that. Also, if you would like to support the channel and this podcast, you can do so on Patreon or sponsors. You can go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon or tuxdigital.com slash sponsors. Sponsors is spelled S-P-O-N-S-U-S. And uh, if you would like to do so, you can become a patron of the Tux Digital channel, which helps out uh, me and help me create this show and help me create more content for you and for this channel. So uh, also, there's it's not even just that. You also get perks by becoming a, um, a a patron. You can get perks to like unedited episodes of the show. You can get access to uh, special patron only content, uh, polls that I'm going that I'm do, I do for occasionally for only patrons to be to provide input. Also, in cases where if you like certain tiers, will also get discounts on merchandise like the Linux Everywhere T-shirt. So if you want to become a patron, there's a lot of perks that are that goes along with that. So yeah. Uh, you can go to tuxedo.com slash Patreon or tuxedo.com slash sponsors to learn more about that. Also, uh, if you'd like to support us without any cost to you, you can go to tuxedo.com slash affiliates and that you can find affiliate links for uh, private internet access, Humble Bundle, Amazon, and many more. And it'll be a small commission for whatever you purchase on those sites through those links. You will have to click the link every single time that you want to get give credit to me because they don't. They, I think the cookies st- stay for maybe a day. So if you do want to do that, you'd have to go back every time. But there's a nice easy list just going to touchshow.com slash affiliates. Also, be sure to join the uh, various different the Discord and the Telegram and the forum for Destination Linux Network. So go to destinationlinux.org slash telegram, destinationlinux.org slash discord, and the go to destinationlinux.network to, and click on the forum link to join the forum there. 
The Linux is Everywhere t-shirt is available by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. And just to be clear, the shipping for Europe uh, means that you shouldn't get any custom uh, f- custom fees or income or, like, import taxes or anything like that. And VAT is included. So that should be what you, if you're in Europe, you should definitely use that one instead because it will avoid all the other stuff. Linux is Everywhere is a t-shirt that I designed that has Tux blended into the background to convey the message that even if you're not aware that Linux is there, it probably is. And if you'd like to get a discount on that, become a patron by going to tuxedos.com slash Patreon and tuxedos.com slash sponsors. And finally, this uh, for the housekeeping section, uh, just to be a reminder, if you're not you're not informed about I said it different this time. If you're not informed about this, well, there's a Destination Linux network that this show is now a part of. So be sure to go to destinationlinux.network and uh, click on the forum to join the forum and have uh, conversations with all the people in the community. And uh, if you have any questions, you can go there to the help desk. If you'd like to share information, you can go to the tutorial section and all kinds of other places. There's there's If you have uh, comments about individual shows, about the network, you can go to those sections. It's, it's really a great way to discuss various different things about Linux and uh, getting getting help and, you know, just overall. So uh, destinationlinux.network, again, click on the forum and be sure to join. So, yeah, let's get to the rest of the show. Up next in the show, this is actually the start of the controversial section of this episode, and that will be starting with, is Microsoft trustworthy? And if not, could they be? So there was a, uh, a thread created on the Destination Linux forum, Destination Linux network forum, uh, saying, do you trust Microsoft? And if not, what would it take for Microsoft to earn your trust? And it was a very interesting uh, conversation that was in the, the forum because there was just like a lot of people having like, here's, here's how they would be able to do it. Uh, here's why I don't trust that kind of thing. And uh, it's interesting because there's some people who didn't really care and some people were comparing it to uh, they used to trust them not at all, but now they trust them more so than other companies like Google. So that was interesting. Uh, So I would say check out the thread anyway. But the reason why this thread was made was because of a tweet that was created by Christopher Scott, who works for uh, Microsoft. And I wanted to bring up the thread because Christopher Scott is also a member of the community for DLN. So he's actually a part of this thread as well. So you can actually uh, have conversations with him. And he wants people to uh, give his their opinion of how Microsoft can change and do better and actually gain trust for the community. So if you would like to give your opinion, feel free to join the Destination Linux Network Forum. I'll have a link in the show notes. But one of the things that people have been saying is because uh, Microsoft has been saying, uh, you know, for a while that Microsoft heart Linux, hearts Linux or loves Linux or whatever, but they've not really done that much in my opinion. So if uh, I will be putting my own op- opinion in this forum, uh, but here uh, the the opinion is basically... Well, no, I don't trust them, but it's not because I don't trust the people in charge right now. It's because they have a massive history of horrid actions, calling Linux a cancer and saying open source was going to ruin the in like the entire economy or some other weird nonsense. Like that kind of thing has happened for many years, like multiple decades actually. So, it's really hard to trust them even if they're not in control, the people who said all these things. So, for example, uh, Satya Nadella has changed a lot of things like open sourcing.net, open sourcing xfat and putting making xfat a possible possibility to be supported in the Linux kernel directly. Uh, so this is interesting. 
Uh, speak, and it's also because the XFAT is one of those things. It's, if you're not familiar, uh, XFAT is a driver that is used for, um, it's a Microsoft file system driver for used, or not driver, but f file system for flash drives and SD cards. That's where the drive part came from. Flash drives and SD cards. So historically, Microsoft has used XFAT to collect massive licensing fees from vendors, including things, Android uh, vendors who you know manufacture phones based on Android were using XFAT and therefore had to pay, like Samsung had to pay $5 per device they sold to to Microsoft because of this patent and because of XFAT. So the fact that they're open sourcing it is a big difference and a big change on their part. And I agree that that's really good, but it it does kind of help their bottom line and their marketing uh, prowess. It doesn't really benefit the ecosystem of Linux. So when they say they heart Linux, uh, it's they still haven't proven it to me. They have done a lot of things that make me not you know, detest them. I used to detest them. Uh, but now it's more like, okay, I'm interested. I'm looking. Prove it to me. And I'm, I'm open-minded. Uh, so I still don't trust them yet, but I'm open-minded to the idea of the possibility. Uh, so anyway, I just think it's a pretty interesting discussion that's on the forum. And uh, it also correlates to uh, many other things that uh, Microsoft has been doing. Like they, they announced they're going to be bringing Microsoft Teams to Linux pretty soon. And uh, Christopher Scott, like I said, posted that tweet earlier. Uh, he posted a tweet about what the possibility of bringing uh, OneDrive to Linux as a native client. And also wanted to see how many people were interested in it. So he created a user voice, voice thing for uh, Microsoft, which is a thing how they gauge interest. And uh, so I have a link to the user voice thing for the OneDrive, as well as the forum and his original tweet, uh, finding out what uh, people, what's people's interest in regarding whether they trust Microsoft or not, and how could Microsoft change their minds. Uh, the reason I rem I saw this tweet is because he uh, at mentioned me in the tweet, so it was pretty interesting to see all the different comments related to it because there was a lot of great comments and a lot of great points. Um, you know, I'll have a link to um, a few of those things in the show notes as well, but I didn't want to like you know just reiterate everything here because there's a, there's a lot of great conversation on the forum that I will link to as well. So if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to all of that stuff in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Huawei is now selling Linux laptops. So Huawei has been in the news a lot lately. The company has been facing off with U.S. government and as a result has been had to make changes in its plans for phone and laptop hardware. They've also been, they've been one of the things they've been doing is creating the Harmony OS, there's some you know issues about that though, uh, whether because they said they're gonna make it open source, but they haven't provided the source yet. So you know there's that. Uh, but one of the changes that include is that their uh, laptops are now gonna be shipping. Not all of them, I guess, but at least some of them will include uh, adding Linux as their as an OS for their laptops that they're selling. We don't know for a fact uh, if it's gonna be always pre-installed or if it's just an option or whatever. Uh, but the MateBook 13, 14, and the X Pro editions will come with the Deepin Linux uh, distribution pre-installed. So that's actually pretty cool. You know, it's a Chinese company using a Chinese distribution of Linux. Makes sense. It has an interesting uh, possibility for people who are in that, that uh, country to want to use it because of the fact that they're both homegrown, like, China Chinese companies. Uh, so that was, that's interesting to see what happens there. Uh, but for the nap the laptops are actually pretty interesting because they they're pretty powerful and they look pretty good. Uh, they're not the most robust laptops, of course, but they are pretty slick laptops. 
And uh, the, the laptops are now available only in China, but hopefully they will reach, reach uh, approach an international market sometime in the future with this offering. Because uh, I, I do want to see how they set it up, because I think that'd be pretty interesting uh, to see if there's reviews on you know their laptops and with the the whole Deep and Linux setup and everything. So um, Huawei says that they're betting on open source uh, to keep its business alive on both the mobile and laptop front. So by doing this, I guess that's what they're pitching for. Hopefully, that's you know they are use, utilizing the full gambit of it. But until Harmony OS becomes open source, we're kind of like waiting on that. Um, but yeah, I think this is an interesting this interesting topic. Uh, what do you think? Let me know in the comments below. And uh, yeah, let's move on to the rest of the controversial topics. Like this is not really this is controversial in some aspects. But it's not really like the super controversial stuff. Uh, that's coming up next. So up next in the show is Richard Stallman has resigned from the FSF, as well as some MIT thing that's kind of started this whole debate. Uh, anyway, so September 16th, 2017, Richard Stallman, founder and president of Free Software Foundation, resigned as president and from its board of directors. The board will be conducting a search for a new president and beginning immediately. Uh, further details of the search will be published on fsf.org. So, uh, I'm not going to talk about the specifics because this is a family-friendly show, and I don't want to. So, I'm going to talk about the the core, the underlining issue around this surrounding this topic. If you're not familiar with this topic, I will have a link in the show notes below explaining how it all initiated and where the things came from. For example, this was not just some random people on Medium uh, having a fuss about this problem. Yes, that did happen. That essentially is the initiating action that created this, this the, uh, the snowball effect of this situation. But then there was things from uh, people who were a part of the, South, the Software Freedom Conservancy requesting the, that Stallman resign. And then there were people from the Gnome Foundation saying that if Stallman does not resign, that Gnome will cut ties with the FSF because they don't want to be involved with that kind of situation, that kind of, those types of actions and those types of uh, perceptions and not perceptions, but those those opinions that he was expressing. And this is not, the, the weird thing about it is that most of the time I've seen people who are defending these actions, they were basing it on an argument between whether a number is of age or isn't. 17 or 18, essentially, in that case. Uh, if you don't know what I mean, just look at the show notes. It's not just this. So if you're saying that, that this is an argument, like people are blowing this out of proportion and blah, blah, blah. Go back and look at his the Stallman.org website and look at the things he said over many many years many years in fact it's almost two decades i think it's about like 16 or 17 years ago he's been saying these ridiculous things and uh i found a thing back to 2003 where he said horrible garbage and i'll have a link to that in the show notes as well so uh this is not an issue of all of a sudden people are having are attacking him because he is eccentric or whatever in some way. It's because he said horrible, disgusting things on many occasions on many topics. It's not even just this one topic. There are many cases where he said things that are just, they're just not, at the very least, it's not someone who should be running an entire movement of, of the open source or free software movement. He should not be the head of it. 
it's not only that, he's just he's said so many things that if you are defending him based on this sole topic, this sole case, you and you're not aware of the other things, you need to research the topic and you don't have to do much research. In the show notes, I'll have links to all of the things that I'm referring to of being horrible. So you don't have to do that much effort to do this research. So do that before you defend the things that he said because it's not very good. So in my opinion, I'm actually okay with the fact that he's resigned. It's kind of shocking that it took this long for him to be uh, pushed out of this position he's in because just the disgusting things he's been saying for many, many years. The one time, the first time he said it was like 2003. That should have been the flag to say, hey, you should not be a representation of this community because you do not represent this community. And that somehow that did not happen. So many years later, you know, 16 years later, it finally comes to ups, you know, everything comes up into the boiling point, I guess. And then it, then it basically happened. Being removed as the head of the foundation. He should have been removed from that a long time ago. Now, before we move on to the next topic, I do want to say that I hope that Stallman learns from this and learns that his actions were not remotely okay and that he should understand what all he said and how bad it was and tried to fix it and tried to make up for it. I think that would be the best outcome. He did say that in his one of his latest posts that he did learn from it and he has he now understands some of it. Um, And I hope that's true. But I do hope you get more help for that because, you know. So let's move on to the next controversial topic, which is not anywhere near as controversial as this one, but still controversial. Uh, GIMP has been forked, and it's been forked for the new name of Glimpse. And the reason this was forked is an attempt by the community to rebrand the the graphics editor of the GNU Image Manipulation Program, or GIMP, to a name that's not um, as derogatory and is you know more suitable for educational enterprise settings additionally there are plans to add new functionality in the future which will be focused on addressing common user complaints which are you know pretty there's pretty numerous amount of complaints about the functionality there's been a long history of requests from the community for the name of the application to be changed as it's an offensive word in many cases. So there's also been a response to, uh, in their frequently asked questions, they have a response to the request, will you change the name? And their response is, with all due respect, no. You can't say with all due respect when the name itself is disrespectful because a lot of people don't understand really why that word is disrespectful. There are many cases of why it's, it's, it's an issue. Now, the term GIMP is sometimes related to things. I'm not, this is a family friendly show, so I'm just going to refer to it as the Pulp Fiction type. If you're not aware of what that is, there you go. But there's also another one that refers to dis- physical disabilities. So someone being in a wheelchair, someone being able, or there's, you know, there's a phrase that people might have heard of having a GIMP leg. That's where that comes from because the word GIMP is a derogatory term towards uh, physically disabled people. And this is a very horrible term in places like the UK. In the US, it's not seen as that negative of a word, but it is a negative word nonetheless. And it has been for many, many decades. Actually, the term came out around somewhere around like the 30s or so. That's where it started. So the application of GIMP started in 
I think 96 or 97, something like that. I don't remember exactly, but I do remember that the application was really quickly notified that the word was offensive towards physically disabled people, not necessarily the other thing that people think about. And that's why people have wanted it to be changed for a very long time. Not necessarily because it's offensive in the terms of the Pulp Fiction style, but offensive in the terms that it's a derogatory term towards physically disabled people. And why would you want, why would you insist on your project being named that? Especially when the last word of your acronym is program, when it also could have been application or software. So you could have called it Gimma or Gems, you know? You could have, there's so many possibilities that there is no value in just using the word program to finish off the name. It's just it's just a ridiculous decision that they have stuck to for decades. It's ha- it has such a bad reputation for the name that uh, organizations, you know, refuse to put it in their they refuse to put it in their enterprise deployments. There are educational organizations that refuse to ever teach it because of its name and, and especially in like certain cases like the UK where it's an incredibly offensive term they refuse to teach it at all uh, so there's there's no actual value in its name and and that's the thing that uh, that kind of shocks me that people would be still trying to say that this is necessary because if you look at the idea of it there are so many negatives about that name that there's no and there's no value in having that name the net result is a negative, so change it. And you could say, well, what about all the things, all the years that they've had it, all the articles that have been written about it? There are just as many articles written about the stupid name as there have been the articles about the application itself. And also, uh, there's situation where maybe there are people that say, well, they got to go, they have to go to the domain of GIMP.org or whatever. Like all of those things are, are are easy. Rebranding happens all the time. You can just redirect that and not lose any SEO or any of that stuff. And if someone is redirecting is like directing to a page on your site, all you do is create a new page on the a new site with a new name, have it redirect so it takes them direct. So even if they do have an old link, it will still take them to the page that they wanted, just with a different name. That's just SEO. That's a thing that happens all the time. There's no negative, and it takes very little effort, and especially if you have a system that's, you know, you know, built on a WordPress CMS or some other kind of CMS. Like it's not that big a deal, but there, but people are acting like it is. So I'm just saying, there's very little benefit to keeping the name as it is, and there's a ton of reasons to not keep that name. So I think this fork is a good idea. Hopefully that they actually will, you know, improve the functionality and become a better version that can be promoted. That'd be great. So anyway, if you want to see what more about this particular application and learn more about the Glimpse image editor, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. This was a controversy a couple weeks ago. And in comparison to the current controversy, this is like basically nothing. However, it is still a thing I want to talk about because it still needs to be said. Uh, it's actually kind of like a roller coaster. We started with not that controversial, then got to the peak of ridiculously controversial, and then back down to not so much. Um, but anyway, Purism announced a date for the set of the launch of the Librem 5. And they're, sh- they're announcing that they're uh, shipping the Librem 5, and that it's starting in quarter three, or starting at September 24th, 
between September 24th and October 22nd. However, they're saying that the Librem 5 is going to ship at this date. A version that is incomplete of Librem 5 is shipping at that date. So if they were just to come out and say what's reality, it'd be better. Because they're the way that they phrase it on their blog post is like, hey, we're shipping, we met the date, ha! Ah, except you didn't because it's not done. And that's okay if it's not done. No one would really be bothered by you not being able to get it done the time you said it to. You say, I need to, you know, we need more time. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, cool, no problem. But it's the fact that you are not done and saying that you are done, essentially. Like, you're still saying that it's not technically done because in the first batch they say that the initial board will have uh, loose fit, individually milled, uh, plastic varying alignment, unfinished caps, that kind of thing. Then the next board will have a tighter fit and improved alignment. And then the next board after that will have all the hardware included. See, that part confuses me. Is like what part of the hardware is not included in the other ones. I don't understand what that means. But it also says it will have birch plus capped switches. Also, those things are uh, improvements but not complete. Quarter 2 of 2020 will be the Evergreen batch. The batch name, by the way, they all have names. Like uh, Evergreen is the final time where they actually get the phone that is ready to go. Like it's actually the final version that people paid for. And that's when it will actually be complete. When, if they said we're shipping quarter two, 2020, and then they ship that device, that is when it's complete. Uh, the part that annoys me about this is that Purism is just saying these things as if we're not able to pay attention to dates and pay attention to what com the word complete means. And it's just kind of like, it's just silly. Like, why are you trying to tell me that it's done when it's not done? Just admit it's not done. It's okay. And no one will be bothered by the fact that you're not ready with it. Like, it's a huge task that you're taking. Not only, I mean, one, I don't agree with the way you're doing it because you shouldn't have done a your own operating system when there were already other operating systems, you know. People would argue not invented here for that case. But, I mean, if you were just say that you needed more time, people would be fine with it. Actually, if you would have said the first time you announced that this is going to be when it's ready. here The problem is, is that they announce these dates and don't know if they can actually meet those dates or not. Like, not if they roughly could meet it and maybe have to delay or here or there, but they had no idea. Because the first time they did the crowdfunding, it was 2017. I think it was like June or April-ish, somewhere around there of 2017. And see, I don't, I'm not saying I know exactly when it happened. I'm giving you a range because that's somewhere around where it happened. And they could have said, we're going to ship it, but somewhere between 2019 and 2020. It's basically a two-year window that they have. And if they had said that, they would have been correct in every facet of their claim. However, they said January 2019, which didn't happen. Then they say April 2019 which didn't happen. Now they're saying Q3 2019, and now they're saying that it is happening, however, it's not, because the phone's not done. And that's okay that it's not done. Just be honest about it. The whole reason people are bothered by this entire thing is because you're not being honest about it. Just be honest with the people who are trying to support you. We all want to support you. We want a company like yours to exist, doing things that 
what you're wanting to do. Open source as much as possible. Fantastic. Do that, please. However, there are also cases where people you have supported financially in the past have come out and said things that are completely inaccurate toward the things that you are doing, pushing misinformation. You personally haven't done that, but there have cases where people have done it and you haven't come out and been honest about what's happening. So, for example, people have said that the Librem 5 is going to be open source hardware. And some people have said it's going to be 100% open source hardware. No, it's not. It's definitely not. Because, one, it can't be. They can't do that. Because there are certain things where some of the hardware, they don't have control about making it open. Now, they are trying to do things making it as open as possible. That is fair to say. But to say that it is an open source phone, especially the hardware is open source, is not true. The operating system is open source, which is fantastic. There's a lot of cool things they are doing as they're trying to make a modular style where you can replace parts and that kind of thing, which is fantastic. Very cool. If they were just to say these things outright and just be honest and upfront, no one would have a problem with it. In fact, I would be more willing to support them if they were to do this. If they were to just say, hey, we messed up. We made a mistake. We said it was going to be this time. It's not going to be this time. Here's a option if you want to get the new, like the incomplete version. Here you go. That would be better. However, they're doing it where if you do get an incomplete version, that's the version you get. Now, they're calling people to make sure that they want the one that they're put in place to get. However, you should just call them to ask them if they want to get anything in the reverse instead of putting them in a place, whatever. They're still doing at least some of the things they should do, but the forward-facing to the community stuff is just marketing PR spin, and you just need to be honest about it. Just be upfront with this because you're you're selling to a community that is aware of the problems, aware of the issues, and is also aware of when you're doing marketing spin. So just don't do marketing spin. Be honest. That's it. Everything be good. So, now that we are completed with the controversial topics of this episode, I hope that this uh, doesn't make you dog barks. Now that we have completed the controversial roller coaster, uh, I am going to move on to some topics that I think are very positive, and I am very happy to see they're being made. So, let's move on to the good stuff. Well, back to the good stuff, because we started with good stuff. Now we're going to go back to the good stuff, because I want to end the show on a good note, because there's too much, too much of this stuff for one episode. <laughs> Valve has released three more Steam Labs. If you're not aware, Steam Labs are basically experiments that Valve are doing, uh, mostly for their website. Uh, they're also doing other things for like making a new client for their uh, Steam client beta. Uh, but I'm, I don't think that's actually a part of technically the Steam Labs, but... Uh, anyway, so let's move on. The Steam Labs has three new th- things that they're, they're, they've announced. One is called Deep Dive. It allows you to click through games and be presented by more based on what you've clicked, like you know things that are re- related to the previous thing. And I also, just for fun, clicked on Rocket League to see what it would show as a recommendation, what, what is like Rocket League, and basically nothing is like Rocket League, so... It was interesting to see what the results were. Uh, but anyway, this new this this version has uh or this Steam uh, deep dive Steam Lab has a, a breadcrumb navigation system with a start over button, so you can you know start with other things and you can search for different games and then based on that click through to find some more. And another really cool thing is they took one of the 
previous Steam Lab features called Micro Trailers and have integrated it into all of the results for this particular Steam Lab, which gives you like a quick 30 second or so clip of what the game is about, like roughly while you hover over the game that you're looking at. So that's pretty cool. And one of the best things about this particular feature is that it respects store preferences. So if you set it to Linux only, it will show you only Linux native games. So that's really cool. Uh, community recommendations tool is also available, which takes data from ver uh, recent user reviews and then presents the, the, the games that might be uh, good based on those reviews. It gives more potential value to user reviews for smaller indie devs and that kind of thing. And it also supports micro trailers when you're looking at the results. Now, the next one I think is also really interesting, and that's called, uh, it's, it's just a search filters, like a search lab thing. They, they just call it search, but um, this is a, it adds more search filters and more things to, you know, narrow down what you're looking for. They also added infinite scrolling to the search results. So you have the infinite scroll so that it will, as soon as you scroll down, it just loads more games and you just keep scroll, scrolling, keep scrolling as it loads more and more. So that's a really nice feature. And also if you set, if you set up to be using this labs experiment, it will put your browser into labs mode so that anytime you go to the search feature for Steam, it will always use this functionality uh, you know, in the future as long as you are, you know, you keep that particular cookie in your browser. Or if, but you can, you don't have to delete the cookie to get rid of it. You can just go to the top where it says uh, remove the experiment and it will remove that feature as well. It's a pretty cool uh, set of features. I like the fact that they're doing these Steam Labs because there's a lot of cool things that they're coming out with. And I really like the um, infinite scroll in the search and also the deep dive system is pretty interesting. So if you want to check out uh, any of these three, I'll have a link to all three of them in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Lutris. 0.5.3 has been released. And now this seems like a very small update uh, version number because it's, like it's just like a point release, but... It's actually quite big for this one. They added an option for D9VK for loading this uh, Direct 3D9 over Vulkan library for capable for games that are capable of doing so. So that's really nice because it adds more it adds more support for well better support for more games essentially. And it also added an option uh, introduced that to easily launch the Wine console, which is pretty cool, and support for finding the AMD VLK AMD Vulkan driver. Now that the default Ubuntu path is loaded to the Vulkan ICD loader locations to search and various other enhancements and including some bug fixes here and there. So this is really nice because Lutris is a really cool application. It makes it a lot, it makes it really easy to launch some games that are not necessarily available in using uh, on Steam either through regular native support or Proton. It makes it possible to use Wine in a much easier way. So if you are interested in trying out any games that you couldn't get to work on Steam, definitely check out Lutris and see if it's possible there because there's quite a few there, including Overwatch and The Witcher 3 and some more that will, that are available. And uh, yeah, so if you'd like to learn more about Lutris, I'll have a link to the show note in the show notes to this latest uh, release. Up next in the show is the latest Humble Bundle. Actually, it's a bunch of bundles. We talked about some of them last episode. We're going to talk about some more this episode because they've got even more. And uh, normally, I don't cover this many bundles, but there's quite a few, and they're pretty. They're all pretty good, so I wanted to do that. Uh, so first of all, we're going to talk about the Humble Builders Bundle, and that is it comes, it comes with support for Tricky Towers, Bridge Constructor Portal, and Swim... Speedrunners from Hell is what it's called. I actually don't 
I, I don't I've never heard of anything except for the bridge constructor portal and I do plan on getting that game so maybe I'll get it in the bundle as well uh, it's basically like construction construction game builder type games uh, it sounds like it would be more like a game builder thing but it's more of like games that are based on a builder concept so if you're interested in that I have a link to it in the show notes also the network and security certification 2.0 uh, bundle is out that's made by Wiley and they are uh, they have lots of different guides like for example CompTIA or CompTIA uh, A plus certification complete review guide uh, security plus network plus review guides as well and they also have an official study guide for the AWS certified sysops administrator so if you're interested in any of that plus there's quite a few more a variety of books that are in that same kind of network and security uh, certification area. So if you're interested in that, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And also up next, there's a Humble Monthly that is currently out with Battletech, which has a native support for Linux. So if you're interested in that kind of game, I'll have a link to that. Uh, They also have support for the, or this, this monthly... This humble monthly will also has DLCs for Battletech, which is with Flashpoint and Shadow Hawk Pack. And they've also released the uh, first game that is uh, as like a special reveal of what's in the monthly bundle, and that's Sonic Mania, which is actually a game I've been wanting to play for a while. And Sonic Mania is also um, not native, but it is, is labeled as platinum on the Proton DB website. So that is very cool. So I want to check that out too. And finally, this this week, uh, level up. Your Python bundle is also available, which gives you ebooks, software, and videos related to learning Python. You get access to Professional Edition for two months of PyCharm. You get uh, various different books based on, like, so uh, Python Basics, a practical induct- introduction to Python 3, an illustrated guide to learning Python 3, managing Python dependencies with PIP, and many more. So, this is pretty cool. I actually am interested in the Python bundle for sure. Uh, and also maybe the Humble Monthly just to get the Sonic Mania. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of stuff in here that's pretty interesting. And if you're interested in getting any of these, I'll have a link to all of these in the show notes. As well as if, depending on when you watch this, the ones that are still available from the previous one, I'll have those in there too. Uh, but I do want to let you know for sure that this... I do want to let you know that this particular... Uh, uh, And before we move on, I do want to let you know that these links in the show notes are affiliate links. So if you were to purchase the Hum Bundles from those links, you would be able to provide a small commission to this channel and this podcast, which would be very much appreciated. And uh, you know, if you're going to buy it anyway, I would appreciate you using those links because it helps make this, uh, this show possible and helps me make more content as well as put a lot more effort into the show. And uh, yeah, so if you are uh, interested in doing any of these bundles, please use those links. I would very much appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I have a link to all those in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. 
You can find links for places like Private Internet Access, Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And be sure to check out the destinationlinux.network to check out all the content from DLN. And just a reminder, the show is live, usually, every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux canoes each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.